Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley. Scale up your business. Another week. Big interview, as always. Sometimes when I bring people onto the show, they surprise me because I like to mix it up a bit. I don't like to bring the same people on. You probably get a sense of that if you've been listening for some time. I like to showcase different skills, experiences, and I like to bridge the different areas of value creation. So I like to talk about the importance of purpose and vision aligned with things like financial management operations. But there's a, there's a big thread, if you like, of sales and marketing, propositions, sales and marketing, the commercial drivers of any business. And I like to focus in that area because I think a lot of the people who get in touch with me are looking for help in that area first. They're just not making enough money. They're not driving cash flow in the way that they should. They're not getting predictability. So I do focus on that maybe more than some of the other areas. And you know, perhaps, perhaps if that's too much, you should let me know. But today, as I said, a big interview. And sometimes I get surprised because I was bringing these gentlemen onto the show because of their experience in sales and sales management. What we get, got into and get into, and you're about to hear, is a lot deeper than that because it's much more into the psychology and the emotional state around selling. So I'm delighted to have onto the show today, Scott Roy and Roy Witten. Now, got to be careful here because I keep calling them the two Roys. <laughs> They've got that, that, they share that name, but they are partners in the Witten and Roy partnership, which is all about exceptional sales results. And what we talk about today is their book, which is called Decision, Decision Intelligence Selling, but specifically the approach that underpins that which is all about results equals attitude plus competence plus execution. So the reason I, I keep saying surprised is I was expecting to go into quite a lot about sales process. And that would be great because I talk about sales process a lot. I say how important it is. But you know what? We spend a lot of time talking about attitude and competence. And we spend a lot of time talking about emotional states and how important it is to show up in the right state, to be curious, to listen, to not try and sell anything actually, but to help guide the conversation that you're having with a potential prospect so that it's actually them who makes the decision. You're just putting in place the right elements for that to happen. So that was cool. And you're going to hear a lot about that as we get into it. And the last thing, which we kind of talked about off air is that these guys are massively changing the world in terms of their approach, um, not just to selling, but how they can help sales capability, particularly in developing countries. And they've got projects, I think something like 350 projects operating in 40 plus countries. So they have a much greater mission behind what they're doing, a greater impact than just trying to help sales performance in some of the world's leading companies. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, I have a little bit of fun with their name. We play around a little bit. They get me to do a bit of an intervention towards the end, which is good fun. But I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you're going to get heaps out of it. It massively aligns with my values around selling. I talk about customer creation quite a bit. So what you're going to be getting on this show today is a whole heap of different examples about why that approach absolutely works. So there we have it. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business Roy Witten and Scott Roy. Hi, everybody. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. As always, I love to bring fun and interesting, experienced guys across the world of business, scale up entrepreneurship onto the program. And I'm delighted to have with me two experts in the art, the science, whatever you want to call it, of selling. So I've got Roy Witten and I've got Scott Roy. And I've got to be careful not to muck these names up because I've got a double Roy thing going on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, guys, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to get into all things selling and sales today. 
Great. Thanks, Nick. Good to meet you. It's really good to be here. All right. Well, the theme we were just talking actually before we press record, the theme of today's episode is going to be really around the psychology and the attitude and the mindset of selling and how having that, you know, really lined up, really joined up can really significantly increase sales performance. Um, a huge part of business growth and scale up. Sometimes people sort of focus uh, on this maybe in the wrong ways. And I'm going to kick off uh, this conversation this evening by saying that, what do you think, guys, when um, a business is not performing very well and the first thing the CEO does is fire the salesperson and then go and hire the, the most expensive um, sales gun, let's call it, from the big uh, corporate or competitor down the road, thinking that that's going to be the, the path to enlightenment. What do, you, what do you guys think about that? <laughs> well, I, I tell you, as, as, as a guy who's been in sales management and, and building sales organizations for most, most of my life, probably 40 years, yeah, I'm giving my age away, but, uh, but uh, you know, I've, I've hired probably 2,000 salespeople in my life and developed them. You know, I've always been one to develop salespeople from the ground floor. So I, I, I tend to um, not want to hire somebody who's really expensive and to come in from the outside with their bad habits. Oftentimes the expensive ones, the high, you know, the high performers, they tend to be the lone wolves. They have their own way of doing it. Uh, they might be able to land sales, but all of a sudden, how in the world am I going to you know, going to, going to have uh, other people learn what they're doing and how can I build a sales team around them? Are they going to be more interruptive and disruptive to the, you know, so I, I, I really, I'm very pessimistic when it comes to hiring really heavy sales talent. And I always ask the question, why in the world are they looking for a job anyway? Because really great salespeople tend not to move around. They, they tend to stick with, you know, one organization and they love it and they do really well. And as long as they're treated well, then they, then, you know, they stay there. Well, that's you know? that's so, an interesting point in its own right. Um, what do you think, Roy? Have you got any, anything um, separate or different or aligned yeah, to that? I, yeah. Well, it'll um, complimentary to Scott because, um, you know, our backgrounds are such that Scott's been in sales and developing salespeople his whole life. And uh, I've been in the transformative business. You know, I'd, I'm even older than either of you guys. And, you know, I was 20 <laughs> years old during the summer of love in, in the Bay Area in California. That's a separate podcast, Roy. That's a, <laughs> That's a separate podcast. Uh, I often say I could have I participated a little better, but, you know, I gave it my <laughs> yep. best shot. And, uh, but I've been fascinated by the question of how human beings change. How do you really get behavior change? And what are the underlying factors that keep people from changing? Yeah, interesting. So, you know, I went in with that in mind. I first started selling Fuller Brush door to door. So I had a selling experience right off the bat in, high school, in college. And then I was nine years as an Episcopal priest then I was 20 years as an entrepreneur with a, a co-founding a human development seminar program that was international. Went back, got my doctorate in the field, and then became a consultant to business, reunited with Scott, and we started our business in 2009. So I come at this subject of why do people who are wanting to scale up outsource their selling to some expert? And from a transformative point of view, the answers I've come up with are that they don't really know what selling is. <laughs> I, I, well, there's, there's so many things yeah. I could jump into right now. I'm going to jump into here, both yeah. of these points because let me, let, me, let me come back to you for a second, Roy, because I want to I draw a line under where sure. you got to. But just to come back to you for a second, Scott. You, you, what you said a minute ago is actually more the exception of exception to the rule of what I see, right? Because I, I see, you know, I work in the area of investor-backed businesses. Normally, they're getting their first um, venture capital funding. The entrepreneur who starts that business may very, very crisply see a problem in the market that they want to solve with an innovative solution of some kind, be that technology mm -hmm. or services, doesn't really matter. But they don't really know how to then, you know, align anything around customer acquisition. So the, the join of, of marketing and sales. So they therefore want to go outside and get someone. They yeah. want to find someone because it's not their area of expertise. So I kind of get that. I kind of get why you would do that. Sure. So now to come back to you, Roy, and your point, I agree. Yeah. They don't know what selling is. But what's, what's, what's the answer? If you're at that stage, 
Huh? Then, so we'll go there. If you're at that stage, the first answer is to say, you think you know what it is, but you don't really. And what everybody thinks selling is, and we found this from around the world. We've been in 46 countries, yeah. Scott, and from the most sophisticated multinational commercial enterprises down to people trying to sell toilets in Cambodia and water filters. Everybody thinks selling is some dark art, some mysterious dark art of talking people into buying stuff. That is from a transformative point of view, that is what everybody believes about selling. It's like it's, like it's the water that the fish swim in. And the one question that fish never ask each other is where's the water? And the one thing scale up people don't ask is what really is selling? Let's, let's, let's jump into the why behind the first piece. So why do you think people, as you, to your point, um, think that it is this convincing, this kind of more, um, uh, what, what the key word is, you're kind of almost interrupting the play. You're not, it's not someone else making the choice. I have to convince you to buy something. Why do we think it's that? Um, that is a really interesting, complex question. I'll try to go for a really simple answer. <laughs> it's because most people spend most of their lives in a state of what we call autopilot. Is that based a little bit on fear or is it slightly different? It's always fear-based. Okay. Uh, and it basically what happens, and this all starts with the way the human brain develops, Age five, frontal part of the brain develops a self-reflective part that starts commenting on our own, starts talking to itself, drawing its own conclusions, telling us who we are, and it accepts commonly, underst uh, commonly understood practices. And the commonly understood way that selling is done is, you know, a really good salesperson is somebody who could sell refrigerators to Eskimos. They could talk people into buying stuff, especially if they don't want it or need it. That sounds mental. Now, that just, just doesn't sound. It but is I'm mental. just trying to think of. I I can't think of a time where that's ever worked with me in that way. I mean, it, there's always been like some form of desire, want, or need, at at whatever level. Yeah. You know, and I, that just means yeah. it sounds like common sense. So. Well, it, it's it's so close to what is really so that when it misses the mark, people don't know it misses the mark. So what well, the first thing that we would encourage people doing to scale up to do is, is challenge that conviction in themselves about selling. That if they're saying, I've got this great idea for, a market, for the marketplace. And it's like, how am I gonna get this into the hands of people that need it? And either I'm gonna go after doing that in a way that I think I've got to convince people to buy it, or what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna approach this by selling my job and my salespeople's job is all about raising what we call the DQ, the decision intelligence, like EQ, mm -hmm. emotional intelligence, the DQ of our customers or clients. And the way we do that is by looking for what do they really need? What is the problem they're trying to solve? And if my product or service actually fits that, then we've got a sale in the works. And if it doesn't, I'm honor bound to let it go and get them on to where they can really find their need being met. And once I start getting it, my job in selling is to design a system and to train people who will first find out what is the problem the customer's trying to solve raise their DQ about it, help them see what it's costing them to not solve the problem and get on with then presenting what I've got that can help. It's if once you shift your orientation to do that, then you quit trying to look for outside experts. That's so simple, Roy. 
Um, well, Nick, well, you did you, say, Occam's I mean, you know, razor, you, you, framed the, you framed the response by saying you were going to make it simple. So I'm just, you know, giving you feedback that it is. <laughs> it, it was Occam's razor. It is. It's the key thing in transformative learning is the good stuff's always simple. It's simple to understand. It's a little harder no, to no, execute. And, and, we, and we're going to get into because the execution. Of, because of the way we're, yeah, because we we're, tend to be asleep rather than awake. And you got to help people wake up and adopt a different point of yeah, view. No. And, and I, okay. I want to kind of go deeper again into that. But I'm um, just, just to bring All Scott right. into this. Scott, what, what, I mean, obviously, you guys have worked together for some time. I mean, yeah. what's, what's your perspective on, on what Roy said? Do you have anything to build on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you were you were beginning to say it uh, earlier, Nick, when you were saying about uh, you know don't don't salespeople know to look for a need and then find the need and then and then go that way. I was taught how to do that. I was taught by a very good company many years ago, and I was taught look for the need, and once you find the need, then sell to that need. You know, and uh, and, and that's you know that's that's better than just sort of the dark art of just pitching and trying to convince somebody. But what we find is that salespeople don't listen long enough. You know, what they what they tend to do is they hear the first need and then they go, boy, I got something here for you, you see. And so when that happens, I mean, it's, it's really, such a blunt instrument, that salesperson. It, it, is, it is. And see what the sales, what the salesperson really, you know, they, they really sell themselves incredibly short by believing that the reason I'm looking for the need is so that I know how to sell to that need. And actually, it's something different, Nick. Is we believe there's something much deeper than that. And that is when I find that need, you know, that's just the beginning of finding the need. And now I need to go deeper and really uncover that problem in such a way that not only I learn about it, but the customer begins to learn about their problem at much deeper level at a much more articulated, you know, in a much more articulated fashion to be able to say, holy smokes, you know, I didn't realize my problem was as serious as it was. And in it's fact, a bit like, um, have you heard of the concept of Jahari's window? Uh, sure. I know Jahari's window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, different, different utilization, but actually the idea of, you know, getting someone to become aware or helping someone become aware of something they may not be aware of. Absolutely. And then that awareness of that opens up, in some cases, an epiphany on and potentially a new thought, a new direction. Exactly. So, I take it there's some similarities now, let, here. Let me, if I come in for one minute, Scott, yeah, back yeah, to sure. you. It's that it's that epiphany yeah. that transformational learning goes yeah. for, and it's it's that epiphany that great salespeople want to generate for their customers to increase the awareness of what they really need, including if what becomes they become aware of in the conversation is they don't really need it and don't really yeah. want it. And that's a huge win. Well, I, I think you, there's 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 value in in val in the qualification of of whether someone yeah. is is worth actually you know trying to help or, or validate a need versus not you know because I've I've worked with sales teams as you guys would have where they keep pushing the sort of water uphill. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. There is no need here, or more importantly, there's a need, but our solution is not going to solve the need. Right. You know, make it easier on yourself and actually. Well, if, and if there's not a need, can I create? Yeah. One? yeah. Well, if, if, but if you've got the solution, I mean, the other thing is like, you know, there might be, I suppose there's a point here where you have a solution that solves a need. If that need that you are unpacking is not specifically solved by, you know, or is a different solution to solve it, then it's about trying to work out whether they actually have that other problem as well, or that other thing needs to be, needs to be worked on. And whether it's enough of a priority yes. over the bigger yeah, problems. I get it. And if it's not, you know, then, and the reason that, that this sort of selling works, this DQ selling, is that it establishes a genuine trust. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the whole concept of consultative selling, which is you want as a salesperson to turn into a trusted advisor. You cannot be trusted if what I'm really trying to do is twist your arm to buy what well, I'm It's the opposite, selling. isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do a, I do a um, I do this quite a lot because I have different people I work with and I don't want to go through the experience of working someone with someone where it's really painful. Mm. Um, you know, it's the, it's the concept of sacking your clients, if you've ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. But I, um, I always um, test the yes, as I call it. Mm. So even if I'm, uh, I have a product or a proposition, there's a fit, there's a need, all those sort of things. And someone says, yep, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. I never, and this, you're probably going to say this is crazy, but I always say, listen, I'm not going to allow you to say yes now. Mm -hmm. I want you to go away for the next 48 hours. And if it's a hell yes in 48 hours, then let's do it. But I tell you what, 
by doing that, I've had some amazing relationships with clients who are really committed to what needs to be done. And I'm obviously coming there and helping them grow and scale their business. And it's been so, so much more enjoyable for everybody because that commitment has been thought through. And also it builds mm -hmm. trust because totally. quite frankly, sometimes they don't come back, but that's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I can't, I can't begin to tell you the number of clients we've worked with that. And we work in our commercial work in, in a lot of, uh, uh, you know, more complex deals and, and more complex selling. And one, one particular client comes to mind from nine years ago, uh, where it's quite a substantial IT firm, IT consulting firm in London. And, uh, and they were losing all kinds of uh, client, uh, you know, their, their brand just kept degrading, 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 and they were losing money uh, in, in their profit margins because they weren't selling properly. They weren't listening deeply enough to the problems that the client wanted to solve. So therefore, the solutions that were being created, you know, were not actually solving the customer's problems. And so all we did was we trained the salespeople to, to, to stop jumping into a solution mode so quickly and begin listening to what the client's needs really were and just keep listening and listening and listening. And the magic that happens at that point is not only the fact that you get a really good set of requisites for what the product or solution needs to do, but what you've got is you've got a client who's really bought into the solution and you know because they understand the problem. You know, if you understand the problem deeply, then you can get a solution that matches up to that problem and then everyone's happy. Because then when you go into delivery mode or, you know, you're, you're going to installation or whatever it might be, there are no real surprises. Or if there are surprises, mm. they're tiny, you know. And so that's how you build that sort of trust, deliver on that trust, deliver the value you want. And then your phone rings again. And it's either, you know, we want more of what you got or they're going to say, I've got a friend of mine I want to refer you to, you know. And so all of a sudden you get referrals, you know, from that. So I, I think really, you know, when, when I think about this and I, I think of my journey for 40 years in sales, and, and, you know, I've been in publishing, I've been in insurance, building insurance company, and then also now consulting services, is that, is that I've just really learned to trust the client uh, to have the answers inside of them. I just need to be patient enough uh, to, to, you know, ask questions and let them talk, you know, and then when that happens, then all of a sudden the trust is built and I can really deliver value to that, you say. And that's really what DQ is really about. And, and uh, so I don't worry so much about what sort of, you know, tips and tricks and all the, you know, kind of psychology about how I try to get the customer to get their pen on, on the pad. What, I, what I'm worried about is, are they making the best possible decision for themselves? And they get that. They, they absolutely get that I'm sincere about that. Well, it's, a, people, it's a feeling that they're going to get, I think, through the engagement totally, as well. Totally. You know, you, you you know a situation where someone is, I heard this expression once, I think it was um, from Robert Cialdini, and it was that the definition of influence is not you trying to convince someone that they should do something, it's you convincing someone that you believe in it that they should do something or that a product or service and there's so much there's so much it's a it's a subtle point but it's such an important point hmm. that if you show up and you actually believe that right i believe this can help you you know I've, I've i've qualified what you're trying to do i've asked questions i've listened i'm really i'm really clear that that the way you show up in that situation goes a long way sure. i think to being successful as a, as a salesperson in that commercial in that commercial sphere Sure. And you've got, I, I agree. And I, I would add, if you can also show up as somebody that really believes, if I show up as a salesperson saying, I furthermore really believe that I can help you get to the point where you will either believe it so much, you'll walk over hot coals to make it work, or you'll let it go and get on to what you really believe in. And I know I can help you do that. And all of a sudden, I'm on a whole different standing in a whole different on different ground as a salesperson. Yeah, and I'm on ground that you're going to want to keep talking mm -hmm. to me. Well, yeah, the relationship, the rapport that you've built through that, and the trust that we mentioned before is incredible, and it's and it's longstanding and and much more sustainable. But the question I've got then is, again, back to simplicity. You know, not necessarily easy to put into practice. Why, why have so many businesses and so many sales teams had much more of an adversarial approach? Mm -hmm. if, if this is much more logical and because everything you're saying, as much as I know it's kind of stuff that you've created in your methodology, it, it's not, let's call it rocket science. It just mm -hmm. makes a lot of damn sense. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to answer that because in, in um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with what happens above the salesperson. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so you've got, you've got a sales manager, 
you have a CEO, you've got a CFO, you have shareholders, et cetera. And okay, at the end of this quarter, we want to be at a certain number and, you know, so many, you know, here are your targets and it, it starts with that, you know, yeah. so here's, you know, here's your target, Nick, you know, Nick looks his target and all of a sudden he goes, you know, I, that, I've never, that, it's impossible. How am I going to hit that number? And then he, then you go into what we said earlier, you go into complete fear or overwhelm that this is going to be even possible. So then you go out to your clients and then you start leaning on your clients. So this concept of spending time, listening to the problem, letting it unpack it, that, you know, that takes some time on the front end. Okay. It doesn't make necessarily the sale take longer. It just takes longer on the front end. And then once you get on the back end, which is the solutionizing, those sales really move fast. I mean, there's no, you know, you don't, you don't get hung up in negotiations. You don't get hung up in, in silly objections or stakeholders who don't want to be a part of it because you did the right work on the front end. Actually, you'll see your pipeline move faster. You'll get bigger deals if you do that. But if sales management leans on people and says, look, you know what, uh, Nick, Tell me, you know, how, how's your pipeline looking? Okay, what's it, what's it worth? Okay, yeah. Tell me about deal A. When is it going to close? Okay, how much is that worth? Uh-huh, mm-hmm. Okay, what about deal B? When is that one going to close? Uh-huh, okay. Can, can you push the date up a little bit more? Come on, come on. You know, and, and you get that sort of badgering. The sales manager is not helping the salesperson succeed at selling. You know? No, it's back to Roy's point about you know do you know do people really understand what selling is that that, that definition because I'll give you a, a slight sort of perspective when I used to be a chief exec of a number of businesses and I'd have the sales team I used to again I'm interested in your perspective on whether this is um, what you would advise or not but I was always mm-hmm. more interested in the activity not the close definitely. Yeah. You know, if someone, because you'd see this, you'd see someone who was having lots of conversations, they had lots of things going on, they were building rapport, the, the close, if you like, well, the numbers would just fall out at the end of a month. Mm. But the ones who were kind of had, you know, not much activity and they had to sweat every one of those small, you know, opportunities, they, they were the ones who had the pressure of the close. Yep. And you could see it. My, the best salespeople I had, and I did this a little bit when I was in sales, was always the one who just had a very active pipeline and and it wasn't overly prescriptive because it naturally flowed because of the amount of value that was being driven pretty much at the front, the front end. Yeah, absolutely. This, come, this comes from um, some of the things we're finding in our, our work in terms of sales consultation is we're doing more and more work on the front end with management mm, and, see it. and records because we, we started by doing a lot of work with the sales teams and then found that one bad manager could screw up months of sales training. Mm-hmm. Because if that manager believes that selling is a dark art of talking people into stuff, they will manage mm-hmm. in that way. Amazing, isn't it? And, they, right. and, and the influence that that one individual can have on the whole machine. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. It's like we see it, we see it all over. I remember another company in the UK, large telecommunications company, multinational, that we worked with five years in different parts of their business. Remember, the managers would tell stories like, well, you know, the sales director came to me and said, here's your targets from the CFO. Now, just that one thing. The CFO sets the sales targets. What does that say about what they think selling is? Mm. Oh, it's it's a it's a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's not a it's not it's not a it's, it's not an externally built you know um, a validated qualified you know conversation. <laughs> and then if it takes the next step, which is the manager says um, starts working with salespeople, and the salesperson says, "Okay, well, um, here's here's what I can deliver in the quarter," and the manager says. No, this sale, you, you've got to move this one up from the second quarter to the first quarter so that I can make the numbers fit the projection that I've been given by the CFO. And so, well, I don't think I can deliver it then. Well, you have to. No, I, I've been in those environments. And in the private equity world, yeah. um, as you will appreciate as well, sure. it's it's even more um, yeah. aggressive. Um, yeah, totally. But Very what I, what I would like to do is just go into two two areas, which just to go a bit deeper into this. Yeah. I want to talk about the sales management process, and I also want to talk about the characteristics, be that the attitude, the psychology, the skill set of of someone who's very very 
great at sales from your perspective. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start with the process. So what does what does a great sales management process look like when it's following your methodology and your beliefs around this? Mm-hmm. Roy, do you want to pick that up? I will, although, oh, you know, I'm happy I learned to. a lot of this from I'm you. happy to. Yeah. Hot okay. potato is being thrown yeah, anyway, between anyway, the, the, the Roy's. I will, I will, <laughs> okay. I'll set the scene by giving, you know, 30 seconds on our history. I do have a, I do have a question specifically for you, Roy, coming up, which is going to be more about the person. So, you know, okay. like, this, okay. perhaps the process right. goes to well, Scott. I'll, I'll hand over I, I to Scott. Make sure it, when, yeah. Scott came to take, when Scott came to take the human development training that I was, that I'd co-founded in 86, he left and went back to his business and applied what we had taught him about how to manage attitude. Okay. He applied that to his business in a way that I'd never, I, I, I trained 100,000 people in 20 years. I never saw anybody apply it to their business like Scott did. And that made a huge difference. So that said, the management of attitude, I just want to frame that up to hand it sure. over to you, Scott, that what is that process? Yeah, yeah like okay. This is great. This is going to be our management. case study that I mentioned before we started recording because <laughs> <we don't, laughs> yeah. I'm not really yeah. interested in the company. I'm just interested in in the the what happened. <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's go for yeah. it. Let's do it. Well, you know, when I was 29 and just, uh, you know, talking about what Roy was saying, when I was 29, I had a, a sales base of about 140 sales people. Okay. I was one of those fast risers in my, in my company. And, uh, and I had about 30, 35 managers and the rest were salespeople. And I was just pulling my hair out left and right, uh, trying to figure out how to get everybody, you know, sort of up and selling. Well, as you know, selling has ups and downs attitudinally, you know, as you're, if you're selling well, you're happy, you're confident, et cetera. And that will generate more sales. But if you're not, if you, if your attitude is not up, you know, then what happens? Well, you can have turnover, churn, have to replace the person, et cetera, as a sales manager. So as a sales manager, I was constantly, you've probably heard the expression plate spinning, you know, like yeah, spinning, know spinning plates and running around. And I was just completely ragged, run ragged by this whole process. I went to say, and, and these people were all on 100% commission. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? So, Seriously? No salary. Okay. So, yeah. So you really got to learn something about managing attitude. Okay. okay. Exactly. That. To you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 23 years managing 100% commission people in two different industries. So, uh, but, uh, but wow. yeah, you're right. I mean, it is, it is, a, it is a roller coaster. Well, having been one of those salespeople in it, I, I knew what it was like, you know, and then managing salespeople, really tricky. So when I took the course that Roy did, I came out of it going, my God, I've just gotten, I've just been given the Holy Grail in three days, 1986, never forget the days it was here in Knoxville. And I came out of it and I went, holy smokes, I, I, you know, attitude is no longer just labeling it positive and negative. Attitude actually has dimension. You can see it and you know what to do with it. You know, I can't begin to tell you as a sales manager how many times someone would come to me and said, my territory is crappy. The people are awful. Da, 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 da. And I would I would try to make the conditions right for that person to succeed. I would I would say, OK, well, here, I'll give you a new piece of territory or I'll let you follow John, you know, and, and you can see how he does it, et cetera. I, I was always fixing things for people, you know, and trying to make the conditions right. And what I learned from Roy and his organization is, you know, there are two types of people. There, you know, there are types of people who are looking for the right conditions, and there are people who operate to within whatever conditions there are, and they make it work. And all of a sudden, I realized my job as a sales manager is not about making things right for my people. My job is to help them develop to be able to see anything and deal with anything they've got and make and, and make their effort right in that situation. And I mean, it's, it sounds simple, but you know what? That is a million dollar idea. That's a hundred million dollar idea if you can execute it. Is and that so, the same, just to like, jump in I, on that, is that yeah. the same as, um, you know, you might've heard the equation event plus response equals outcome. So yeah. you can't sometimes change the event, good yeah. or bad, but how yeah. you deal with that event, your emotional state, your mindset, how you, again, to use the word show up will will massively affect the outcome. Totally, totally. Got it. We, we call it the ability to manage your mindset. And really starting with a basic premise that, yeah, when stuff happens you didn't like, your attitude can take a dive. We call it going below the line. But that process, if you're still below the line five minutes later, that's on you. It may have driven you down when it happened, but it's over happening. And now if you're still down, 
you're the one that's keeping yourself down. There's a process to that. You can learn it and you can actually manage it so that instantaneously almost, you can come back above the line and figure out what you're gonna mm -hmm. do. And from above the line, you can see possibilities. When you're below the line, you I can't, can't wait see till we anything. segue into this um, characteristics question in a second, Roy, because I've got a lot of. I mean, I've done a heap of work on this anyway, but I'm curious because ah, we're going to talk about like you so know because because I like it's how you how you then pick, choose, work on you know those sort of things. But but is there so what I'm hearing here, and I could be wrong, is the actual process, the sales process is is not necessarily the key piece. It's 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 how it's how someone is is acting within whatever process, you know, again, I'll use the word showing up, how they are responding, you know, getting the job done, whatever that's defined as is, is actually the more critical thing. Well, I, I think it is. I, I absolutely believe it is. Yeah. In fact, uh, just to tell you a quick story, Roy, um, you know, after I came out of that training, I, I one morning I woke up and I came up with a with a model. This is back, you know, 35 years ago came up with a model called race R equals a plus C plus E. Okay. And, and, you know, you had, you know, event da, 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 da. this is a bit different, but you know, in what it stands for is results that you generate in sales come from three factors, attitude plus competence plus execution. Okay. okay? Now you well, can, can have all the competence and execution in the world, but if you don't have attitude in a place where you believe things can happen, what are the chances good things are going to happen? you know, pretty nil, right? So attitude is, is really, it's, it's the rocket fuel, you know, to sales is, as far as I'm concerned. Now, competence and execution to your question, is it, yes, I think a person, if they had their attitude in the right place and could maintain an above the line attitude or restore it quickly, they'll, they'll figure out what to do because humans are brilliant. Human beings are brilliant. They, they can figure things out, you know, and, and, and you can figure out what sort of approach you should take and you should, you know, you'll be able to figure out how to actually interact with people, a lot of trial and error, but you'll get there if your attitude's right. Now, in order to speed all that up, what if you had competence? What if you had, you know, the, the, the you know, the way the strategy and you got the strategy right. And all you have to do is now execute the strategy using your competence and maintaining an attitude above the line. That's what race is about. And so I started managing my people using that model. I used to meet, meet with them every, um, our managers every Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, you know, for hour, you know, and I'm met with 35 of them a week or 40 of a week. And what I started doing is we used to do a race uh, assessment, you know, how, it, what were your results this week? Let's take a look. First of all, attitude, competence, execution. So we'd look at the results and we'd say, okay, let's get your attitude right first. And then we'll talk about what to do about the other things. Because as long as your attitude isn't right, you're not going to listen to anything I say, and we're not going to be able to figure out anything, you know, if your attitude is in a state of, well, you know, I got really bad territory, you know, it's like, you know, you got to pull your head out of, you know, the nether areas in order how many to be people when, okay, so just to, again, how many people when you are in that situation, and obviously you've um, learned and grown <laughs> in the years since, yeah. how many of those people will you be, were you able to affect their attitude for them to see things differently to change it versus ones that left that I you had to exit or well he taught me how to do it i'm pointing to roy he oh, i'm gonna go to, to i'm gonna go to roy now because he's looking yeah. like, look how smug he looks he's he's, he's going he taught me. You know, this he question taught is made me. for me i'm ready to go well, well yeah but he well we'll get to this like, he taught me you know and then what i did is i taught them okay i okay. taught them in fact i brought roy into my company and i said teach these people about attitude so attitude, I mean, if we're going to draw a circle around this, because I understand competence and I know we could get all into that and we could sure. talk about execution and the quality of execution, but let's draw a circle around attitude. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can segue up to Roy. Perfect. So, so how do you, how do you start to affect attitude? How do you, you know, because there's so many things programming you mentioned before, you know, show me the person at five and, you know, there's all this kind of behavioral stuff, you know, yeah. take me through that. How do you do that? Okay. I will do that. And I do want to come back to just one small thing quickly, which is you had a question, Nick, for Scott, which is, so it's not, it's not so much the process, it's the attitude. I would say it is the process as well. You, because you could have really great attitude, but if you've got a crummy sales process, you're not going to get yeah. the results you're after. No, no, I can see that. 
And in you know the book we've just written, Decision Intelligence Selling, you need a process that actually walks you through where you walk the customer through raising their ability to make a big a right decision. For example, you don't start by pitching. You start by discovering the problem. And it goes problem, cost a problem, then what solution do you have? And then looking at what the value of that is. And you got to take those in order. That's process. That's inputs to get the output. That's where your thing, Nick, about process comes in. And it's vital. Now, that said, you can have the best process in the world. But if your head is stuck solidly somewhere else, you're not going to execute yeah. it well. So yeah. that's the primacy of that's attitude. Right. Now, how do you manage attitude? From the standpoint of transformative learning and change, you have to have an experience of your attitude changing like that. You have to experience where you were stuck below the line. First of all, you got to know that there is a below the line and an above the line in your attitude. And you've got to sharpen your awareness of when you're below and when you're above. And we've got a technology for that called the attitude spectrum that our friend, Dr. John Hoover, a brilliant research psychologist in Tennessee, developed uh, the part of it below the line. He was a great diagnostician. And you can teach people to go, oh my gosh, I am now going from feeling light and uh, seeing possibilities. I'm beginning to dive into compulsion. This isn't as much fun as it used to be. I'm beginning to just grind it out. And then you can feel yourself farther, fall farther below that into, okay, I'm still grinding, but now I'm scared. <laughs> you know, I be kind of grinding it out of obligation and now I'm down into survival. And then finally you can notice when you've just friggin' given up. And that is a gradation of attitude, a degradation, and you can spot mm -hmm. it. But you've got to be trained. I was going to say, you have to be trained on it because I, I'm, I'm thinking back to all the, the salespeople I've worked with and just, just people in business, let's say. I think a lot of people aren't aware of this. Oh, God, oh. no. In fact, in most sales organizations, compulsion, in that, that layer mm. I just laid out that John Hoover developed compulsion, survival under that, obligation under that, then survival, then impossibility. Compulsion is usually as good as it gets in most sales. It's like end of quarter, Get your butt out there, sell, or you're going to be fired. <laughs> What's the difference between and below it, the line and above the line? I mean, we're talking about the layers. Right. I get that. But how do you know if you're operating above, above or below? Uh, if I can ask you a couple of quick questions, this is the best way to get it across for your listeners do it, too. Do it. When I ask you, they can be answering. Right. You've had moments when your state of mind has been so up that you're virtually unstoppable, right? Well, I, I train myself every day to be like that. I have a practice so to do So when you're like that, when you're up, give me four or five words to describe how you feel, how well, you I can act. tell you. I mean, I'm, I'll give you two really important ones. One, I feel in, in what we call flow, mm -hmm. right? And I'm extremely yep. present, mm -hmm. extremely present. Mm -hmm. So by that, I mean... And I can tell you some of the practices I do to get to that place because um, it means that my decision making in the moment is not clouded by things that could um, make a misjudgment, mm -hmm. be that fear, be that distraction, whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, I, I experienced that same state in various sporting endeavors that I've had throughout my life. My best games where I've scored 30 plus points on the basketball court, I've been in that state. Mm -hmm. So able to make decisions not even having to think about what to do right. next. And it's very clear, knowing, very clear. Very clear, clarity, free-flowing, what, you know, Mikhail Csikszentmenti, Mighty, the guy that Csikszentmihalyi, Csikszentmihalyi. Thanks, Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah. Don't ask me to add that to the show notes because that's... <laughs> yeah, well, if, if you Google up flow and the guy with the unpronounceable name, you'll find yes. Um <laughs> That's a central. That's you've you mentioned the word that's central to our our uh, part of, of E of race of execution. It's about staying in flow. Okay. So decision. That's all. That's above the line. Now, when you've had times that your attitude's been down, and you're not like that, 
How would you describe that's that? normally a state for me when I'm I feel overwhelmed, where I have back to your spinning plates point before Scott that I have too many things that are hitting at the same time, which means my judgment is clouded and scattery mm-hmm. because I'm trying to prioritize. I'm trying to work out what's the most important things. So for me, it's it's a state of of just feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. Not in, not in, not in the control that I want to be in to mm-hmm. be able to perform yeah. my best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're fair enough. So you've nicely described some elements of above the line mm-hmm. when you're above the line when you're below, and I'm counting on your listeners to have done that for themselves. No, that was good. I like I like the fact that that I think when I when I speak about the people who come into my world, they are normally yeah. in the below to use the terminology we're talking about. They're in that below the line state. Mm-hmm. You can well, see no, it, they, they, that's you? where they find me. Mm-hmm. So, so the well, people who find me through this podcast and then and then yeah. come into our world in whatever way, shape, or form, they're usually stressed, burnt out, overwhelmed, oh. right? I see. I have run out of ideas and don't know what their next move should be. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean they're not capable right. or anything like that. But at that point, no, no it doesn't mean that. No, at but all. at that point, mean- they they don't feel capable. They don't feel that they are the person who can make the decision that's needed to get their business growing again or something like that. Right. Step one is to know where you are, whether above the line or below the line. It's a very simple Mm -hmm. process. That's first step. You've got to stop and say, where am I? Step two is, this is tricky. You've got to want to get above the line. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where I was playing with that question before back to to Scott about how many people actually make that journey because that decision and that desire Mm-hmm. You know, as we said, things can be simple, but they're not necessarily easy. There's a lot of payoff for just staying below the line. That's what we call victim, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah. Right? There you go. There's a lot of payoff in being oh, a victim. Yeah. I mean, I, I you Biggest see it every day. Is, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> you've always got somebody else to blame. Yeah. These conditions Scott was talking about: the weather's not right, the people aren't happy, they don't have enough money. You know, it's like you're always at the effect of somebody else's things and external conditions, there's a big payoff in that because as long as you hang on to that point of view, you do not have to be responsible for pulling your head out of your own backside and getting back above the line and then charting out where Mm -hmm. you're going to go. And so it's very, step one is notice where you are. And if you're below the, if you're above the line, just keep going. Don't worry about it. But if you notice you're below the line, step two is you need to pause and say, am I really willing to let go of the excuses, change my state of mind? And when you decide that you are, then you go to step three. Now, step three, there's been many technologies for this, all the way dating back to the Buddha in 480 BC, in which his, his, his way of changing your state of mind was to sit in one place, close your eyes, and watch yourself think, and label each thought as it went by. That's a judgment. That's a conclusion. That's predicting the future. That's feeling guilty. And do that until your mind just frigging stops. (laughs) And that delivers you to the present moment that you were talking about, Nick. That's one of the earliest technologies. Now, it's not very fit for business. And that's why a lot of companies that are trying to work with mindfulness now have difficulty with it, because a lot of that training comes from a Buddhist context, which is, you know, you just in your business, you just can't say, could you just stay here? I'll be back in 30 minutes after I've had a chance to meditate some so I can stand to be in this conversation with you. you, know, <laughs> it you, you don't have that it is funny. I want to jump in on this a little bit because I've now interviewed, well, I've had, as I said, 130 episodes. I've had probably about 90 interviews. I've had a few billionaires. I've had some very successful athletes. All the very, very, success is obviously one of those words that means different things for different people. But the ones who are delivering outstanding results in whatever they've set their, their goals to be have some practice. Mm-hmm. 
around this stuff, yeah. whether it's your exact example or whether it's, you know, cold showers in the morning or whatever. Any, they, they have a way to yeah, do Yeah, but they all have something yeah. and, and, and it doesn't yeah. necessarily disrupt, you know, the, the day, the day to day, like it might be a morning routine or an evening routine or something like that, but, but they have something that allows them to be able to manage or, or move into that state that we were talking yeah. about. Sure. Well, it's, it's, it's the do. challenges is when you're, when you're in, in motion, you know, you're in a game or you're at work during the daytime, you know, or you're on the phone with somebody and something goes, you know, you, you find your attitude drop. What do you do in that moment? You know, and, and that's what, what Roy is really, you know, referring to. It's, it's just, it's a sense of how do you recover your attitude quickly in the moment so that you can perform and continue to perform. You know? I have a very small thing I do. It's very yeah, small, but yeah. it works for me really well. It's I, I I say to myself five five deep breaths. Yeah, and it's amazing. For, and they're quite deep. They're not like <gasps> they they take a good sort of minute each each one pretty much. But that's sort of three to five minutes. There you go. Um, you know, it doesn't take long, and it changes my um my state um substantially. What What do you do if you're in a conversation with somebody? And you notice that your attitude is dry. I'll tell you where that works for me. And again, it might, it might just be me. is because I have both a morning and an evening practice. Mm -hmm. it, it sticks yes, it's, it's, become, it's such a habitual thing for me now. Um, I, I wouldn't say I can turn it on and turn it off, right? I'm not that. But I can recognize it very quickly. And I, I, I understand that I can manage the short-term situations that pop up enough that they don't yeah. become um, derailing. Yeah. yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, you've really found a way to help make that stick. Um, it's the sort of thing that I worked on for 20 years in this program, you know, whether you can listen to the, your inner conversation mm -hmm. and verify it. And that's a fairly slow way around the barn. And what we have found is, is a practice that can make the whole thing much faster. And you don't even have to take the three to five minutes. Um, and all of that practice you're doing, I mean, I meditate every morning, it makes me stronger during the day, but at the same time, I need something that I can go to in the mm -hmm. moment so that if I feel my attitude drop because a client has objected or something's happened to my, in my personal life and I'm struggling, you know, mm, all yeah, of those yeah. things that go on with all of us, I need something that I can do and the stuff that we have found is a um, technique that I spent my doctoral dissertation working on in 2004, which is a technique that we got from a very esoteric Russian teacher named Gurdjieff. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Gurdjieff or not. I would do not recommend. You, you've you've got me on the edge of my stuff. seat. I'm waiting for you to say what I, it is. <laughs> you know what it is. I, could, I, could I just show it to you? Yes. And yes, just let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. And then your readers, your listeners can do the we same thing. We put this thing. on video too, so don't uh, worry. This this goes everywhere. Oh, good. All right. <laughs> Let me just give you the experience, okay. and then we can just talk about it in a few sentences to nail it do down. It. So here's the practice. Um, we call the practice split attention. Uh, Gurdjieff called it self-remembrance. His sidekick, Aspensky, called it divided attention. Um and here's what you do. You just keep doing whatever you're doing. It's like if you notice that you're you kind of that you feel that pit in your stomach, you're getting a little scared, you kind of can't think clearly, you know you're below the line, mm -hmm. right? Or even if you're above the line, you just want to go higher. What you do is you keep doing what you're doing. So right now, all three of us are looking at our screens at each other. So keep that going. You could be in a conversation with a client, somebody you're selling to, a colleague, um, a salesperson you're managing if you're a manager. But so you keep doing what you're doing and you keep about 80, 85% of your focus right on them and what you're doing. But you also split off a little bit of your awareness and put it on something that you can physically feel. And if you're just listening like you are now, a very helpful thing, and this goes right back to the Buddha, by the way, is just feel your stomach and what happens to it as you breathe. So what physically actually touches potentially and actually see if you're breathing deeply or not, something like that or? 
Well, don't worry about breathing deeply, but this is where your, your own practice of breathing, you, you do this already, but just notice as you're being with me, also put part of your attention on the movement of your belly as you inhale. It'll press out a little bit. And then as you exhale, it'll go back in a little it changes, bit. It actually that. changes the way I'm breathing because it my does. awareness of it now is more in the same way if I'm meditating or if I'm doing some breath work. The, the difference is in this is you keep staying with Got it. me. Got it. So I'm not. Why yeah, you feel it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're meditating, you just go totally into that experience. But in this, you stay with your work. You stay with whoever or whatever you're with or doing, but you also feel your stomach move. Now, there's one other place to put, you can put it anywhere physically, but the other place that I find most helpful, because I can't feel my stomach move when I'm talking. I learned a long time ago, you hold that steady so that you speak from your diaphragm, not from your throat. Don't lose your voice, blah, blah, blah. So what I do instead is press my fingers together. My mm, thumb. And okay. first I've done that before as well. It's like I've used that as yeah. a trigger. Well, and you can't see it on the screen, but that's what I'm doing as I'm talking to you now, is I'm doing this. And so while I'm talking to you and thinking about what I'm going to say and looking at your images on the screen, I'm also just feeling my fingertips touching. Mm. Now, I don't know why this works. But as you do it, go ahead and do that, whatever it's at, fingertips or breath while you're, what do you notice happens to you? How do you feel? What happens to your clarity of thought? Well, I mean, I've got two slightly different experiences. So I find consciousness on the breath um, then um, made me realize that actually probably in a point of more stress or whatever else, I'm probably not breathing as deeply. So just being aware okay. of that, you know, again, if I wasn't talking, changes my yeah. breathing, which then has, a, has has the effect of, you know, oxygen, which then gets me more present and focused. So, Well, that's, that's all your, thought, your thoughts about it. Let me have you just do the experience, not think, think about the experience. If you come back to listening to me mm-hmm. now, and let me try touching your fingers as you're listening to me mm-hmm. now and keep both going at the same time. And then as you talk and answer a question, see if you can also keep feeling your fingers while you talk. Got yeah. it? You want to do both I'm at the same time? I'm trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I'm very, I, I feel quite, I feel quite present because because I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, I'm here. That's the point. Okay. It immediately brings you to the present moment. Got it. Now, I would be lying if I could tell you why that works. And I actually don't care why Just make it something works. Out, Roy. Call it, call it, call it. <laughs> I, I can make it up. Practice what, of... I make, what I make up from my years of work <laughs> on listening to the mind and all that, I believe what happens is that this part of the brain that develops starting around age five, that thinks about it and talks to us and all that, that part of the brain can only focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And if you get you split your attention, I think, like the Buddha found with watching your own thoughts, it just doesn't know what to do, and it stops talking. And when it stops talking, you come into the present moment. Yeah, okay. That's very powerful. Because it's only your... Okay, that's, I mean... Isn't, well, in, in this, sales. This, this, this simple little thing... <laughs> yeah. Is the most important well, thing I've ever. Well, I know we're talking a lot about sales, and I, you know, I did say before you guys came yeah. on the show that we'd go anywhere. Yeah. But this is this is quite interesting, just in any context. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, sales, even, particularly in leadership as well. I mean, totally. just generally. Totally. I mean, in in, in sales itself. I mean, just you mentioned sales. Let's say I'm in in the middle of a sales conversation, and you say something like, you know, your price is too high, or you know, just a, a standard objection. In that moment, if I if I have learned how to split my attention. I'm I'm able to in that moment play back what you've said and literally within seconds recovered myself and not and not just plunged into fear. You say and then mm. come back with something that I'm, I'm going to regret later on or that isn't very effective. A sales manager takes a look at the numbers that just came in or the report that's on his desk 
And all of a sudden he goes below the line. And then he starts hunting for the sales guy. And he says, what the heck is going on here? You know, every word that's coming out of that sales manager's mouth is going to have to somehow be taken back and, you know, repackaged and do something to recover that relationship, you know, or else you're going to have a sales guy who isn't going to succeed. So we see this as absolutely central to great selling. I mean, we both, I mean, all three of us know that selling requires so much more of of a human being than accounting or and nothing against accountants, but I mean, you know, you don't necessarily. No, no it's you've got to. I I often say you have to be you know pretty intuitive. You know, some people have have degrees of of being more intuitive than others, right? And, yeah. I, and I've seen that. But there's well, in moments when when you're above the line, what's the relationship between above the line and below the line, and your ability to be intuitive? Well, I mean, I I often often people say to me, my my level of intuition is off the scale. Right mm-hmm. now, and and if you listen to any of the interviews I do, I'm I'm usually quite. I ask questions that are quite different questions. Some some you know, sometimes more powerfully That's than others. Good. But mm-hmm. but I can see that that is absolutely a superpower for me. It has been all the way through my career. Mm-hmm. I can feel yeah. it mm-hmm. as much as I can physically be there and other things. It, it's a very weird thing to describe, but it's massively powerful. Well, being in the present moment is, is we think is is to is one of the most powerful toolkit uh, tools in the toolkit for a salesperson and a salesman. Mm-hmm. I can see. Period. You know, and and I, you know, if if you can do that, if you can achieve that, you know, it's like this morning at six a.m. I'm on the phone with seven people. You know, five of them in Southeast Asia, two of them in France, one of them in England, and and going through a very heavy presentation. You know, and there were moments where it got a little tense, and then be able to then split your split my attention in that moment, and to continue to carry it. And then my wife calling me three times during that during that call. You know, the bell going off i'm going jesus christ why is this going on right now you, you should know? try that you should try that with podcasting where you've got kids you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've had that a couple of yeah. times where someone's like screaming at the front you know because i've got a window in front of me here yeah. it's like yeah. you know, I, I, I can see you <laughs> yeah so, so so that's where i mean splitting yeah. attention is something where you have so many different places you can if you want to be a, a high performer you know what we'd say is getting into the present moment is where you're going to be at your very best. Period. No matter what you did, whether it's sports or selling or yeah, or being no, a priest listen, or whatever it is, you know, it's 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 interesting that we've come to this, right? And I'll explain why. Because the, yeah, the well, that, the reason yeah. the reason that people um have listened to this show for, you know, in some cases I get people say, listen, I've I found the show and then I've listened to eighty episodes straight in some sort of Netflix wow. binge, binge, and it's because yeah. I don't really talk about business, right? Yeah. I talk about I talk about mindset all the way through. I talk about how you know we've used the word a few times um, this evening. How you show up, the identity of who you are, um, and I don't talk about that on the cover line. It's not the title of the podcast, but it's the gift that people get through the conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that a we met the way we met, but it's also interesting that we've kind of come to this point. You know, I know we're talking about it in the context of selling, but but actually, it's it's actually. Um, foundational to what this podcast is about and actually what I think um, drives effectiveness, mm. not just in business, but in life. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, that's some of the feedback we've had uh, as well from our book, uh, you know, in, in, in some of the Amazon reviews, people saying, wow, you know, and, and people who even endorse the book on the inside of the book, they said, it's, it's a great book about sales, but gosh, it's, it's so much more about there's so much in there, so much richness about how to live my life well. And, you know, and how to aim myself and, you know, how to, how to manage my mind, you know, it's, it, it applies yeah. to lots of things, you know, so I agree with you completely. Well, let's, um, let's begin to wrap it up a bit. I think we've sure. covered some, some ground. The time has gone extremely quickly. So I'm grateful yeah. for you guys giving the time, but your book is Decision Intelligence Selling. Yeah. Um, it's more than that, as we've just described and experienced, <laughs> which has been fun. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, here we are. Good. So get it on Amazon and all good bookstores, I'm sure. <laughs> and um, where can people, I mean, if, they're, if they want to go deeper in some of this stuff and learn a bit more, where can they find you guys? Where do you hang out and how can they reach you? Sure. Well, we have a website. That's the best way to get hold of us is uh, wrpartnership.com. Very simple, wrpartnership.com. And on there, there's some great resources for decision intelligence selling, including uh, there's a there's a video clip 
um, of leading people through split attention, that skill. But then there are also the resources on there, plus lots and lots of articles and things that they can, they can do. And if they'd like to talk to us, you know, they can get in touch, uh, connect at wrpartnership.com. That's all right. We'll put all of that into the show notes. I still like the idea of calling yourself the two Roy's. I think that's good, but you know, well, we (laughs) we actually, we did. We actually thought about that. We were talking about Roy and Roy consulting, you know, there you go. Okay. But I think, I think, I think, you know, I'm going to recommend that people kind of look look you guys up, of course, and um, and and you get a bit more into this decision intelligence. I mean, I think we've covered some really really good ground on this yeah. tonight. And um, as I said, I'm grateful for you guys coming on the show. So thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Oh, it's really a pleasure, great. and thank you for your uh, your questions. Were yeah. great, and uh, you you have really have cultivated an ability to stay present mm-hmm. through the mm-hmm. interview and uh, present through what you're doing and um uh, that's why we call split attention the accelerator you get good at that and learn how to stay present uh you know you can actually kind of take on whatever you want to take on like you're doing again i'm very um for someone who's made this their life work roy for you to be able to say that again i'm i'm a bit humbled by that as well but i Mm -hmm. but i'm massively into this and i think any success i've had in business is because i have worked on these areas Mm -hmm. I suppose what I try and impress on people who who come on the show, listen to the show is that, you know, so much of, you know, the success that you want to achieve, as I said, it's not just business, it's in life, comes back to how you manage yourself. It's that development you do. Um, And I think this is the the thing I like about this conversation, I've enjoyed about this conversation this evening, is that, you know, we've talked about it, again, the context of selling, an important part of any business, but it's, it's grounded itself in something which is much deeper and I, I would argue more impactful. So, mm-hmm. so thanks, guys. Thanks Thank for coming you. on the show. Thanks. And there you have it. Another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.